Hello and welcome to another episode of the Legacy Investing Podcast. I'm Josh and today we're changing a few things up. Um, I'm going to be running this call by myself. Uh, Nathan is deep into some business work for himself and um, giving him the time this week to crack on with what he needs to. And rather than putting up another rerun of a previous episode, I thought I might finish off our Alibaba series because we've been going for a while on it. I believe this is part five for the series, but um, yeah, thought I'd get it all done and dusted so we can move on. And uh, next week, Nathan will be back and we will be celebrating uh, the podcast's first year anniversary with episode 52. So that is super exciting. Um, and so is Alibaba. So I'm going to jump straight into it today. I'm not going to talk about, you know, what's been happening in the markets because as we all know, that's Nathan's specialty. I'm, I'm pretty lazy when it comes to keeping up with news, to be honest. So, you know, I can't leverage on his knowledge this week. I just got to kind of deal with my laziness, but that's all good. Um, I'm going to pump through Alibaba here. Um, we've got a bit more to cover. But uh, I guess I'll probably get through it a bit quicker because <laughs> we're not going back and forth like we usually do. Um, and if it's not as interesting, then I apologize. But um, this is just going to be a massive data dump. So you might have to pause, rewind, re-listen if there's notes that you're wanting to take. Um, but yeah, I'm going to finish off uh, the... the uh, analysis, the deep dive that we've done on Alibaba. And I'm going to skip over a few parts because um, there is a lot of information in here, but um, this will all be, I guess, available at some stage in the future to whatever we roll out with regards to what we were thinking of. So uh, kicking off from last week, we talked about the moat um, and we're going to continue on a little bit with the moat here um, and then move on to management. So the next question up is, I know why the competitive advantage is, uh, is intrinsic and very difficult to copy. Copy. So for Alibaba, yes, um, most retailers in China have built the e-commerce platforms on Alibaba's platform. So, you know, the majority of the retailers or the businesses don't possess their own independent e-commerce platform. So, um, you know, Baba's is the largest in, the, uh, in China by far. Um, and this kind of, if you think about this like a, a monopoly or, you know, you know, if you had a railway company and you own the railway tracks, it's extremely difficult to, you know, compete against somebody who owns the railway tracks across the country. So in this instance, Baba is like that company in, in China. And it's very difficult for somebody to compete against Alibaba when it comes to e-commerce. So, you know, that's very intrinsic to them. They you know, massive compared to any competitors when it comes to that space. And it would, you know, it would be very silly in my opinion, but difficult for another company to come out and blow Alibaba out of the water or what they're doing. So it's very intrinsic to Alibaba. Um, Alibaba also have the capital to invest in opening new e-commerce markets. Um, the more China get their internet access uh, spread across the country. Um, so this gives them the first mover advantage um, and it often results in Alibaba being the first e-commerce platform that businesses and customers adopt. So the more China open up their internet access, the more businesses start to retail 
Um, you know, you got that growing middle class. So more and more businesses will come in to compete against each other, but they're all going to be competing against each other on Alibaba's e-commerce platform. Um, it's a lot easier for Alibaba to scale globally because their business doesn't require any inventory management or products. So unlike Amazon who create their own products and um, kind of push their competitors out of the market, Alibaba don't. So they don't need all the inventory management of products like Amazon does or other e-commerce platforms do. So it's super easy then and low capital expenditure due to that to keep scaling across the globe. Uh, so the network effect um, Alibaba created would require convincing many of the 250,000 businesses on its platform to defect. So, you know, as we discussed last week, the network effect being, you know, the more customers are there, so therefore more businesses want to get on there to, you know, reach more customers. And because there's more businesses on Alibaba, then more customers flow. And it just creates that massive network effect where more and more people come to use the system for business and more and more people come to consume. So, um, you know, even Amazon doesn't directly compete with Alibaba anymore because it is a very difficult uh, area to come into and compete against them. So um, moving on, um, you know, in this one, uh, I can... I can say what problems the customers will have if the business disappears. Um, so customers being um, the businesses using Alibaba's platform. Um, basically, China would lose over a decade of e-commerce infrastructure. You know, the 250,000 businesses would have to re-platform or create their own e-commerce websites. Um, and really, it would take a long time for 250,000 plus businesses to do that. So if Baba disappeared, it's going to be very difficult times for the e-commerce in China to basically get back to where they are now, thanks to Alibaba. And like, um, unlike the US, where most companies attempt to scale their own online stores, they all have their own e-commerce stores, uh, Alibaba is almost the only online store for most businesses in China. So you can see where that monopoly kind of, you know, controlling the market uh, Alibaba possesses in that instance. Um, so here's one uh, gets a little bit contrary, but um, the business, so Alibaba, uh, it can raise prices as its cost rise. And that's a question. This is a question, you know, we ask as part of this um, checklist is can the company raise its prices as its costs rise? Now it can, however, big thing with regards to Alibaba and the reforms that um, went on in China is Alibaba got stung with a $2.8 billion fine. Yes, billion with a B again. Um, and it had to lower its fees. Um, so, you know, it's highly unlikely that Alibaba can raise its prices in the future. And if the costs rise faster than the growth um, of the fees for revenue, then its margins could shrink. Now, is that a problem? Uh, I don't think so. Even though its margins may shrink, um, what we're looking at here is, you know, uh, the, the sheer growth, I guess, in the e-commerce space in China. So Alibaba has a fee of 7% at the moment um, of the growth purchase, gross purchase price of products. Um, those fees probably as a percentage will go down in the future. However, 
it is a dominant uh, it is a dominant company in the industry, um, and the industry itself is growing into the future at you know seventeen percent per year. You know, moving moving forward. So, if you've got a industry growing at seventeen percent per annum, then realistically, if Alibaba's fees stay at that seven percent mark or they drop slightly, then they're going to get a lot more growth regardless, even if their um, margins shrink a little bit there. Uh, if, if its costs are rising due to inflation, it is likely its revenue will also rise due to the higher prices of goods. And with its fees being a percentage of the gross sales of the products, the higher the products sell for, the more uh, income Alibaba makes. So it's a win-win situation there for both the company and uh, for both the business using Alibaba and Alibaba. Um, overall, the potential of shrinking fees is not overly concerning because um, as we discussed, uh, moving forward, the industry itself is growing massively. Um, so, you know, if fees were to shrink like small, revenues would still grow over time. So that's, that's, that's good for Alibaba. And that includes revenues and uh, net income. So uh, sales are recurring. Um, that is one of the next questions. And yes, they are. So uh, the cloud business and lending businesses are also recurring, but the e-commerce side of things, you know, uh, it's like businesses locked in needing Alibaba because they can't exactly scale outside of Alibaba by themselves. So sales are occurring. They're not one-off sales. Uh, customers keep coming back. Sorry, consumers keep coming back to buy from these Ali, uh, businesses listed on Alibaba. So um, that is the end of the moat stuff. Um, I'm going to move into management here. Um, and like I said, I apologize if I'm punching through this really quickly. Usually I'd have some back and forth. That would have probably taken 10 or 15 minutes. But um, yeah, I'm going to crack on. And if you need to pause and go back and re-listen, um, that'll be on you this week. Um, so management. Um, and this is where we start to look at the management's numbers, their integrity, everything we want to know about management for Alibaba. And we start off with the company has no or little debt. Um, and that is true for Alibaba. At the end of um, this, this information isn't the most recent quarter. So uh, updated information you'll be able to find by looking through the um, SEC files and 13F so forth. But um, at the end of the quarter that this was, uh, this assessment was done in, um, Alibaba had $23 billion in total debt. Now, it seems like a big number, $23 billion. However, um, it had $75.2 billion in cash and cash equivalents. So net debt is well under zero. And on top of that, it also generated over $30 billion in free cash flow. Uh, that's per year. That's a per year number there. So even though it has $23 billion of debt, its net debt is well into the pos uh, positive cash, not not negative cash so it has positive cash on the books and it's generating 30 billion dollars a year in free cash flow uh, the return on invested capital is high and not getting smaller now as we know the numbers we always look at when it comes to management is debt roic which is return on invested capital and roe which is return on equity and we want to see these numbers uh, so we want to see debt zero um, and in this case even though we have debt, net debt is zero. And that's good because we know that, you know, if something come up with the company and they had to pay back their debt really quickly, then they would just pay it out of their back pocket with all their cash. Um, in, with regards to ROIC, 
the current ROIC, which was when the assessment of this business was done, was 17%. And this 10-year ROIC has been in a range of 12 to 38%. So as we always said on this podcast, we look for ROIC and ROE at at least 10%. Um, we want to see it above 15%, and we're very happy to see that. Um, and as you can see with this company, longer term, it's been 12 to 38. So they're really good numbers. Um, and for ROE, uh, we're looking at 19.8%, and its 10-year uh, range has been 13 to 79%. So um, big numbers there, and they're you know in the right direction. It's the way we want to see. Um, we always look at maintenance capital expenditures as well, because ideally we have a company that isn't expensive to run. Um, and in this instance, um, Alibaba does have a fleet of data centers that need to be maintained to facilitate the e-commerce and cloud business volume. And there's a lot of volume. And um, according to one of the le- uh, recent files from Alibaba, they spent $3.5 billion maintaining their existing fleet of data centers. So that's not too big considering uh, the revenue and the net income and the free cash flows that Alibaba generate. And it's also good to note that, you know, the $3.5 billion um, is nearly about a third of the cost of operating and maintaining US data centers. So the costs for the maintenance capital expenditures for the data centers is much lower for the Chinese company compared to its US uh, competitors. Um, we look at free cash flow and we want to see free cash flow um, at least 75% of earnings or more. And in this instance, uh, free cash flow is 128% of earnings. So the free cash flow was 28.9 billion compared to a net income of 22.5 billion. So that's very good to see. Uh, generating a lot of cash. And at the end of the day, with all companies, cash is king, and we want to see cash on the books uh, to be investors in the company. Uh, So also like free cash flow, we want to see owner earnings are above 75%. And in this instance, owner earnings are 136% of earnings. So the operator, uh, sorry, the owner earnings were 25.6 billion compared to the net income of 22.5 billion. Uh, So we want to look at the CEO. This is the guy running the ship, and this is the guy we want to see, you know, doing good by us or by people who own the company, the investors, as they are the owners of the company. And these guys are steering the ship for the owners. So um, we look at uh, if the CEO is experienced um, and if they have a great track record in this business. So the CEO is Daniel Zhang. Uh, he has been the com- uh, with the company since 2007. Um, he came on as a chief financial officer and he moved to the chief operations officer um, and president of Tmall as it began. Um, and basically after building out that business, he was then moved to CEO in 2015. Um, and he's now the CEO and executive chairman. And Jack Ma, who's co-founder, we all know Jack Ma as a founder of the company. Um, He made Daniel Zhang the CEO because he is an expert at disruptive disruptive businesses. So that's all well and good. We like that as a start for our CEO. Um, The questions here come down to, I guess, your own research. So do you trust the CEO to behave with integrity? do you look at the CEO's pay and think it's reasonable? 
um, and based a long-term success. This is stuff that, you know, is very opinion-based. Um, you can read the uh, annual reports and, and get a lot out of these. So I would uh, recommend go looking at those yourself and see how the CEO talks to the investors um, and look up transcripts of calls, listen to them and just build your own opinion around the CEO and the management team. All right, another question we ask is, is management buying back the stock? And ideally you want to see management buying the stock. We want to be see management holding a large portion of the company um, being invested because then we know that their, their actions are aligned with their investments, which means they're aligned with our, um, our best intentions. So um, in this case, Alibaba management are not buying back the stock. Um, it would be interesting to see more so now with the price down at 120 and the amount of times it has come down to 110, um, that's US dollars. Uh, however, in this instance, um, Alibaba is very generous with employee compensation, and um, it has been significantly diluting over the past decade, averaging 2% dilution annually. So they're actually, you know, the management is not buying back stock, but they're actually giving, um, you know, good compensation to the uh, employees of the company. So it's, it's not really that bad that the management isn't buying back stock when they're giving the employees stock. Um, and also uh, the founders have been divesting themselves of Alibaba. Um, however, they're massive, uh, massively into philanthropic, I'm going to ruin this word, philanthropic, philanthropic activities. So these guys are doing a lot for the community and the world in general. So uh, they're basically divesting of their stock to continue giving them finances in their philanthropic uh, activities. So they combined, um, that's Jack Ma and Joseph Tsai, um, they both together own approximately 6% of the company. So it's still quite a bit of the company considering how big the market share are. Yeah, the market about cap, market capitalization is. Um, so yeah, um, all right. That is a brief touch over for management. Um, in my opinion, I like the management of this company, um, but it's definitely opinionated. Um, the numbers are good, numbers are facts, but all the other stuff, it comes down to your research and how you feel and what you think about what is going on. But here we go. We've done, uh, we've done the meaning, the moat, the management. Now we're up to margin of safety. And, you know, I'm one who always loves to look at numbers before I go into the deep research just to see if it's worth it at that time or not. But, you know, following this investing strategy, everything else that we've just been through is just as if not more important than the margin of safety. Margin of safety is definitely one of the four checklists, four points to the checklist, and we wouldn't buy if it's too expensive. So this is definitely integral to a purchasing price of the company. Um, however, you know, it's not a great company if it's just cheap. doesn't mean it's a great company. So we want to go through those three other steps, the three other M's, and make sure that we basically are in love with this company. So here we're going to go through the margin of safety. And once again, this is our research. We're sharing our research. This is not advice. Um, and, you know, by the time you hear this, uh, things may have changed massively in the company and, um, 
you know, prices, values, uh, whether the company is great or not could have changed. Um, so once again, this is not advice. This is just for entertainment purposes, our experience and our, uh, our research into this company. So we're going to go through over the three uh, valuation types being the 10 cap, the payback time and the margin of safety analysis. And for a 10 cap valuation, we ended up with around $151 per share. Um, and this is taking into account the fact that the company had uh, a lot of cash on the books. So we took the cash on the books um, by the amount of shares available and added that price onto the um, valuation we came up to, which allowed a higher buy price according to this valuation. Um, because at the end of the day, cash on the books is cash and I'm happy to pay more for a company with that cash. Um, so I am highly confident in uh, that this business will be larger and more productive 10 years from now. And my answer to that is yes. Um, Alibaba at the moment has a large tailwind at its back. Um, as our economy, their economy becomes more developed, uh, consumers continue shifting towards e-commerce solutions and adoption of cloud services, uh, services become increasingly adopted by Chinese businesses. So uh, we think this is going to be growing at about 17% per year in the near term. And as Alibaba grows its services, the growth rate um, longer term, we're thinking roughly 17% as well. So, you know, that's, that's good growth rates uh, for any company, but especially good growth rates for a company this big um, and growing across China. Because even though it seems like it's a big company at this stage, a lot of China don't actually have access to it still. So the more that Chinese middle class grows, uh, the more this company is going to benefit from that. Um, you know, looking at the history, they've been double, doubling their operating cash flow every two to three years. So that's really good growth rates on their operating cash flows. And at the end of the day, like we said, cash is king in businesses, and that's what we want to see. Um, for their maintenance capital expenditures, um, they don't break it down in their reports. Uh, so we use 50%. Um, and... Alibaba is investing in server farms to complete the cloud infrastructure. So yeah, so they're, they're using a like 50% um, capital expenditures for maintenance. We're happy to see money go into growth um, and we don't want to see a heavy maintenance capital expenditure company because it costs a lot of money to continue the company. We would rather see that money uh, invested into growing the company. So um, we already talked about maintenance capital expenditures earlier with regards to their data servers. Um, Alibaba is not a maintenance um, capital expenditure heavy business. So happy with that with regards to choosing numbers to use for coming up with these valuations. And I'm going to pass a lot of the nitty gritty stuff here um, to work out that share price. We've gone through, like we've gone through on previous episodes, how to do a 10 cap valuation. And basically using the numbers we came up with uh, by our sources, we ended up coming up with $151 per share. Um, moving on now, I'm gonna to go to payback time. Um, so payback time, including that excess cash per share total again, um, we came to a price of roughly $195 per share. 
And once again, I'm confident in the long-term growth rate of the company to come up with that uh, dollar amount. And that was using 17% growth rate again. So looking at what analysts thinks, uh, analysts uh, growth rates for the Chinese e-commerce industry, this isn't Alibaba itself, but the whole e-commerce industry, uh, analysts expect it to grow at 70% per year over the next six years to four and a half trillion uh, trillion. I think that is in one as well. I didn't put my notes in very well here. Um, furthermore, if Alibaba was to grow their revenue for cloud services over the next decade to match Microsoft's current $65 billion in cloud revenue, then that would mean Alibaba would get a roughly estimated growth rate of 23%. So that's going to beat our projections anyway. So, you know, if they do grow those cloud services like they expect and you know start catching up to microsoft which you know microsoft is in the us barbar's in china um, there's no reason why barbar can't take a lot of that away from microsoft and catch up to them um, so they would actually grow faster than what we've projected but we'd like to be conservative with our growth rates for coming up with our prices as well um, looking at if there's a ceiling to this level of growth and We've come up with no, there isn't a ceiling. So using these growth rates, and this is just comparing companies across the world, similar industries and so forth, using these growth rates uh, would build Alibaba to the size of Amazon and Microsoft um, of revenue in 10 years without the consideration that China and Asia are significantly larger population, uh, potential markets in the long run. So China and Asia have a lot of growth and a lot of runway ahead of them. And pretty much they aren't at this, uh, they aren't at the point where they're uh, the size of Amazon and Microsoft with regards to their revenues. So given that there's a long runway for Alibaba, uh, the population, you know, massively different and a much larger potential for um, e-commerce businesses in the Asian markets, there's no reason why um, Alibaba can't grow to the rates of Amazon and Microsoft. So, you know, they've got a long runway ahead of them. And these run, uh, these, I was gonna say run rates, been watching cricket, um, these growth rates, um, you know, put them about that level in about 10 years. So there's a lot of runway for Alibaba to grow. Um, I'm skipping over a few more questions here. However, coming to sick, like, you know, we want to see if the company's cyclical or not. And we need to be looking at um, are we buying at the top of a cycle or are we buying at the bottom of a cycle? And what I've come up with here is that there's no cyclicality um, for Alibaba. Um, they've doubled their free cash flow every two to three years over the past decade. Um, so that's a pretty good sign that it's not a cyclical company and we don't have to look at buying at the bottom of the cycle to sell at the top of the cycle or anything like that. So that was uh, some of the information as to how we got to the $195 per share valuation for payback time. Um, not going to go over too many of the numbers again for that. So um, once again, do your own research on that and be comfortable with what you're coming up with for that. So next one is the margin of safety analysis. 
And once again, we added back in the excess cash per share for a total of $189 per share as our valuation. So um, to get to this, I want to be confident um, and I want to be confident in the growth rates that I'm uh, selecting and knowing that they're not too crazy. Um, I'm selecting an optimistic growth rate. Uh, however, that's not crazy considering, you know, other industries, similar industries around the world and for what they've seen in the past. And like we just discussed, they have a long runway of growth ahead of them if they continue to grow at the rate they are. Uh, my projections of future revenue is below the industry ceiling. So um, Amazon and Microsoft combined make $500 billion uh, at the time of doing this deep dive and the forecast to continue to grow uh, at high teen rates over the next decade. So that just goes to show you Amazon and Microsoft are growing nicely and realistically, Alibaba should get a similar tailwind in that growth. Oh man, this is hard talking just by myself. I'm talking a lot this time. So sorry if you're getting sick of hearing my voice, guys. Um, I'm literally just reading off data here. So hopefully there's some data junkies out there who love this stuff. Um, so with regards to this valuation as well, the margin of safety analysis, um, we're making sure that we're using a reasonable future price to earnings. Um, and it's also going to reflect a bull market and good economy because at the end of the day, um, you know, we don't ever want to really sell this company if we buy it. However, um, if we were to sell it, we're going to choose a bull market. So we're selecting a price to earnings ratio that reflects a good economy and a bull market. And uh, we used a P of 34, and that is below the five-year average of 37. So happy to choose that number when coming up with our valuation. And um, as standard, we've talked with regards to our valuations in the past, we're always using a 15% uh, uh, minimum acceptable rate of return because we want to see our money grow at 15% a year minimum. All right, um, I've covered a lot there. Um, I guess I could probably go into the event a little bit. So as we covered the margin of safety, uh, the valuations, the three valuations, I'm going to skip a bit of information and just talk about the event that uh, we're currently seeing um, and I guess is still going on from um, the standpoint of Alibaba. But pretty much, I'm just looking for information here. Overall, I, I want to know as much as I can about the event. And what's the main thing here? that caused Alibaba to start coming down. Cause we know it was on a massive growth run. It was doing really well, um, topped over $300 per share. And then it's just slowly declined from that point. So what was that point? That point was the event. And um, the question I asked myself then is, do I know this event? And my answer is yes. Um, so in October of 2020, um, at an event in Shanghai, uh, Jack Ma criticised the Chinese financial regulators of stifling innovation and called for reform to fuel further growth of the economy. His choice of words were very critical of the regulators and the entire banking system. And this led to President Xi uh, to order the shutdown of the planned uh, 
Ant Financial IPO, which is Alipay. Um, and the commencement of multiple investigations into Ant, along with the antitrust probe into whether Alibaba abused its dominant market position. So this was the beginning of the event. And following this event, the Chinese reg uh, government has uh, had undertaken a regulatory crackdown on the entire tech industry. And it is feared by foreign investors that President Xi is departing from um, capitalism and uh, going to return to a classic socialism, smashing all billionaires in the process, creating a mass exit from Chinese stocks. Now, that is the event and that's the fear. And as we know, fear declines prices and that creates an event and that creates investment opportunities if it's a good company. So was this event easy to find? Definitely, it was on the front page of major outlets. Um, and then basically you wanna know that the event will be resolved. Now, we wanna know as part of that resolution of the event that the company's not gonna to have to add debt. And we don't like, yeah, don't anticipate the company having to add debt because in, in their current position, they're massively uh, net positive cash. So don't see the need for debt to cover any problems that they may come up with in the company. Um, and despite the event, I want to come up with clear reasons why if I was to buy this company, it would be a good decision. And some of these reasons that I've come up with here is that China is growing its middle class very quickly. Um, and this is going to be a huge tailwind for Alibaba. So, you know, even if they're having these short-term problems, longer term, they're going to be a lot more people and businesses using this platform. Uh, the internet connect connectivity across China will continue to fuel, fuel the growth of the e-commerce market. And it's another huge macro tailwind for Baba. So that's two wins right there that I can see for Alibaba in the future. And then looking at their network effect mode, their switching mode, I believe this provides a intrinsic durability and its asset light model enables Alibaba to scale and grow with relative um, ease as China and Asia modernize and grow. So we know that China and Asia are definitely, definitely coming into and creating this new modern world that we're seeing. And Alibaba just, in my opinion, sitting at that point ready to take advantage of all of that um, growth that China and Asia are seeing. So I'm going to cut it away there. I've covered a lot of information in this uh, episode. Um, I've talked a lot and my mouth is very dry now. So um, I appreciate uh, you listening to this podcast. I, I'm not as good as signing out as uh, Nate is. Um, hopefully when he listens to this, he has a good laugh though. And hopefully you guys still got something out of this. Um, but yeah, I'm sure we'll have a bit of banter about how I've went here <laughs> and I'll get him back when he has to do one on his own. So um, yep, a lot of information. Uh, make sure you tune in next week as we will be having our 52nd episode of the Legacy Investing Podcast and um, just putting it out there. I'm super proud of uh, what Nathan and I have uh, you know, started here. Um, we never meant it to be anything other than keeping ourselves accountable for having these calls um, to build our investing skills and to work on our uh, investing knowledge and skills overall. So uh, anybody who we can help along the way, um, that's just an addition and um, super grateful 
to get to do that. So this is a platform that I'm very grateful for and I'm super excited for our second year, a, a very solid year of investing for us and everybody else who's listening. So, all right, appreciate you all listening again. Um, uh, thanks for listening to another episode of the Legacy Investing Podcast. I'm Josh uh, and Nate will be back with me next week. Cheers and have a good week, guys. All information on the Legacy Investing Podcast is the opinions of the hosts and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional financial, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of the Legacy Investing Podcast and any contributors to the podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should consult a licensed financial professional.